Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Ache Woman podcast. Our aim is to use narratives as a way for women of the diaspora to influence and be influenced. The women we interview come from diverse professions and epitomize where there's a will, there's a way. Today we are chatting with Trisha Sukhujawalia, digital content creator and social media strategist who combines creativity with an amazing knack for organizing events. Trisha is the co-founder of the immensely popular Brown Girl magazine, a publication which believes in the power of stories to empower and build communities. She handles daily operations, manages over 250 freelancers and oversees business development. Let's find out how this desi girl from Queens leverages her position at the intersection of hyphenated identities to create a thriving sisterhood. Hi Trisha, it's great to have you on our podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Monica. Genuinely grateful to be here today. When we met, I was amazed at how young you are considering how much you've done. It was also super easy getting on a call with you and scheduling the interview. What do you believe is the secret of your success? Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you, Monica. I'm definitely still very much working towards building a successful company. We're definitely on the roadmap to do so. I think my secret is that I say yes a lot. I say yes to almost every opportunity that comes my way. I try my best to find the positive in almost everything that has happened whether it's a podcast interview or an event or a coffee date whatever it is i'm always looking for something positive out of it that's probably my secret have you ever said no um it's really hard to say no for me <laughs> it really is i do struggle with saying no i think i'm finally at a place where i do have to now um unfortunately but if i'm saying no it's usually backed up by hey let's do xyz together instead <laughs> so i'm definitely working on my nose you were born and raised in the us i imagine I was born in India. I was born in a small town called Ferozabad. It's really close to Agra and it's known for its chudia. So my nana had a chudia factory back in Agra. Can you explain chudia? Yeah, it's the bangles that everyone uh, dances with and you see at weddings and obviously every Bollywood movie ever. <laughs> so when did you move to the US? We moved here when I was 5. We came here on a 3-year work project that my dad was transferred here for from his company that he had been with for about 15 years. Unfortunately, the project didn't go as planned. They were ready to transfer him to Calcutta from New York. Um at that point my dad 
you know, had done a lot of traveling and now he had kids. I was five. My sister was almost two years at this point. He was ready to really settle. And so who wouldn't want to settle in Queens, New York? That was his indicator to be like, okay, I have to really establish my home here. And and so he did leave his company and we started over essentially. So it's been a really interesting slash very grateful immigrant journey to have seen my parents gone through it all Um, from coming here with a very cushy position to leaving that and starting over, I think was, um, was a big eye opener for everyone. I'm grateful they achieve the American dream. And Queens is a melting pot for immigrants. What was it like growing up in the midst of such diversity? How did it shape you? When I first came when I was five, I mean, I was the only Desi Indian kid for sure. My school was definitely predominantly white. They did have a lot of Asian Americans, but this is now almost 25 years ago. I don't want to date myself. Queens in America look so different, right? Folks had no idea what India even was. I was always asked, Hey, are you Indian? Like, you know, from a Native American tribe? Um, they just weren't sure that I was Indian from India. So I remember like always being like, no, I'm Indian from India. And I would always be like the ones with the bindi, you know, so that's how I would always refer it. So I definitely had a lot of trouble. There's no doubt about that. I feel like now that I'm older, I'm constantly trying to undermine the trouble that I had gone through in terms of like the bullying and feeling left out. But I have to stop undermining it because like I did feel really alienated and I did feel really left out. And I had to learn English from scratch. I came here with only three words under my belt, airplane, train, and um, tooth fairy. So I definitely came as a blank slate and to even something as simple as like learning how to play kickball. I remember writing my gym teacher a note and slipping it under his door before gym class to be like, Hey, I'm really embarrassed during gym because no one ever picks me to play. I don't know how to play. I don't know the rules. Can you just meet me, you know, for 10 minutes after class so that I can at least just like get a handle of things. I feel like I definitely took a lot of those approaches to just figure out what mainstream American culture was like. But did he meet you? And did he teach you? And did that work? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely did. I remember meeting him for sure. It took me a very long time to just like feel American. Um, and I did let go of a lot of my Indianness and my Indian identity. I remember telling everyone, Oh, I'm half Christian when like I was obviously lying. You know, I just didn't want to tell them that I was Hindu. It was really only in high school that I started to feel more comfortable, but. I did spend almost all of elementary and almost all of middle school feeling pretty outcasted. What was that aha moment when you realized you have this unique, quote unquote, hyphenated identity and you decided to embrace it? And what did you do then to further marry your two identities of being Indian and being American? I think that aha moment didn't happen until much, much later, probably college. However, in high school, it started without me knowing. So for instance, I would always hang out with the kids at the Greek club in high school. There wasn't a Desi led club at the time. So I used to hang out with the Greek kids and I realized that, wait a minute, starting a club is actually not that hard. You just need 
one teacher to back you up. You need a few thousand dollars in a budget. I was like, wait, I can go get that. So I remember advocating for the importance of a Daisy club in high school. I did co-found it with a friend in high school. And that was definitely the beginning stages of cultivating a community for South Asians living in the US without me realizing that this would end up being my career. I was doing it for fun. I was doing it to make friends. And honestly, I was doing it to host events and parties because very naturally, that's something that I enjoy doing. And so I thought, why can't we have a big dance performance annually at our high school? And so that's what I worked towards. And so I did the same thing in college. I was so involved in all of the DC events and I was involved in the South Asian Student Alliance for every year that I was in college. I met a lot of people that way. It was through meeting people that I realized, wait a minute, like I'm actually not alone and we have to leverage our hyphenated identity as opposed to what I was doing, which was hiding from it for so long. You still live in Queens, which is where you moved when you moved from India. In the 25 years since you've been in Queens, what changes have you noticed? It's actually really amazing to be in Queens for this long. My family and I, we did move to Long Island and I did go to college in Long Island as well. But honestly, like Queens has always been home after I got married. My husband and I, we moved to Long Island City, which is the beautiful cusp of Queens and Manhattan. So it can't get better than this. I think probably the biggest change now is just to see so many more Desi stores. I never have to like go far to get my eyebrows done. Where I live now, believe it or not, my good friend owns a hair salon and an eyebrow salon right next door to me. And I was just actually hanging out at a really cool little speakeasy um, like two weeks ago. And it's actually behind a shoe boutique. Um, Desi owner, right? And then down the street um, is another Desi-owned restaurant, Adda. So I was literally hanging out at the speakeasy being like, wait a minute, we need to get all of these Desi owners host a little party. And I'm definitely going to make that happen. But it's just so cool that almost every other block, I have a store that I can go to, a restaurant I can pop in to get some food or to buy whatever I need to buy. So that feeling that Queens is home and India and all of South Asia is a part of it. There's nothing better than that. Which is so different from when you were growing up. A million percent. Oh, yeah. I I was a foreigner growing up, but now I'm home. (laughs) You went to Stony Brook University, right? Uh, When you went there, did you have a clear plan for your future? And is that where you are? Yeah, I had a clear plan for my future. I definitely didn't follow that plan one bit. I did try my best though. I really wanted to become an attorney. The goal was to go to law school. I was a part of a five-year program at Stony Brook that allowed me to also complete my master's in public policy. So I was very much prepared to do policy work. I had volunteered for a number of political campaigns while on campus. I worked for a couple of different attorneys while on campus as well. And I took the LSAT believe it or not, five times. So I did every course from Kaplan to Princeton. I did private tutoring. I did everything that one person could possibly do in order to get to law school. I never went to law school. But yeah, I did study a lot for it. (laughs) (laughs) You were being the typical Desi, doctor, lawyer, engineer. Oh, yes. There was only a few choices to pick from. So I definitely did choose lawyer. My dad had gone to law school. My uncle had gone. My dada had gone. But it all worked out because my husband 
then boyfriend ended up going to law school. And now I always tell my parents, well, at least one of us went. So that worked out in my favor. And my sister is now officially a doctor. She just started residency. So I also checked that box off through my sister. So (laughs) I got to do the creative thing and everyone else, you know, gets to check off those desi boxes. So yeah, definitely did not go as planned. How did Brown Girl happen? Brown Girl happened because I was pursuing a minor in journalism while in law school. And the only reason I even picked up journalism as a minor is so that I could put it on my law school applications. I wanted law school admission counselors to see that I was well read and that I could write really well as well. That's why I picked up journalism as a minor, not because I ever thought I would become a news reporter. I was assigned with a hard task of writing for an external blog. And at this point, right, my mindset was not about being a reporter or blogging. I was like, Oh my God, I cannot believe I have to do this assignment. Um, I was really annoyed by it. So I'm sitting on Facebook. This is when we were all using Facebook. I saw Brown Girl's post just pop up on my Facebook feed. And I remember just reading the words Brown Girl magazine. And I just like could not believe that something like Brown Girl Magazine even existed. This is almost 10, 12 years ago. And I was just so ecstatic. I couldn't believe it. I reached out to the original founder immediately. I was well-versed in writing hard news. And so I was like, listen, I see that Brown Girl is mostly narratives and memoirs, but I can write some timely news pieces if you would like. I also saw that her and her team were based in Texas. I was like, I'm out here in New York. I know a ton of people. I can maybe help you recruit some New York girls. And so slowly but surely, we got really cool. We started talking a lot. This is, you know, pre-Instagram, pre-Facebook, pre-Slack. Everything is on email. I got to know her. So basically for the first four to five years, I was just casually behind the scenes helping in whatever way that I could. And because I had that journalism experience, I was contributing content wherever I could. And I was recruiting a lot of people from New York. I was doing my own thing, right? I got a gig at a newspaper, um, other publications. Then I finally started working at ZTV. I was hired specifically to come on board to help them curate content that relates to South Asians living in the diaspora. And they had seen Brown Girl. They wanted content similar to Brown Girls. So it was really in that moment that I was like, wait a minute, you're telling me this giant conglomerate wants me to come on board so that we can create content that we do for fun at Brown Girl. So that was definitely the big moment for me. And I was like, wait, Brown Girl is real? Like I couldn't believe it. I had spent about four years at Z cultivating this amazing, beautiful team of South Asian freelancers who were all writing content similar to that of Brown Girls. Almost everyone that I hired from my team was from the Brown Girl network. So those four years really allowed me to understand that Brown Girl is a viable space that could be grown and cultivated as a business. And perhaps it's worth it to pursue this not as a side hustle, but as a full-fledged company. After four years of being at Z, I was definitely ready for the next big thing in my life. I was getting married as well at the same time. It all just worked out because the original partner was very much ready to move on with her life because she had also been pursuing Brown Girl now for almost seven to eight years just as a part-time side hustle. And so because she was ready to shut the doors and because I was ready for something new in my life, I was like, listen, 
let me buy you out and let me pursue Brown Girl full time because we haven't even tried to run this as a company and there's something here. So yeah, took about six months to negotiate a deal that we were all happy with. 2018 was the first time that I really took Brown Girl on. And since then, I've been hardcore working towards making it a mission-driven and sustainable company that can continue to empower South Asians living in the diaspora. It's amazing that there's somebody like you backing the South Asians and the brown girls. I want to reel back a little bit. Here's Trisha growing up in Queens, the only brown girl in her neighborhood who's trying to hustle and fit in. Many girls like you would have said, I don't ever want to embrace my brown identity. I want to assimilate and be considered more American. Whereas you went in full hog and embraced being brown. Was there ever any clash in your head? Did you ever feel like, oh my God, what am I doing? And did you ever face prejudice while you were embracing your whole brown identity and trying to establish this magazine? There's so many instances where I'm like, being brown is not enough. Even right now, I'm raising capital at Brown Girl for the first time ever. Everything we've done since now has been bootstrapped. So even pitching Brown Girl as a viable unicorn is weird. You know, like people will be like, oh yeah, well, maybe it could be a billion dollar company, but it's always like such a maybe. Pitching Brown Girl to VCs, to angels... Sometimes it feels like we're too niche, but we're not niche at all. South Asians living in the diaspora are a giant, giant, giant group of people. I think it's worth like more than 6 billion annually. There's a lot here that we are totally untapped so far, in my opinion. I believe that South Asians in the diaspora haven't found a successful way to be unified Right. And that's what I'm hoping we can truly do through Brown Girl. The big vision at Brown Girl is to have Brown Girl USA, Brown Girl UK, Brown Girl Australia, Brown Girl Canada, so on and so forth. Same idea, but different content that truly relates to those countries and to those people, products that relate to those people, events that relate to those people. So really replicating all the pillars that I'm focusing on at Brown Girl, which is content, community, and commerce, replicating those three pillars into those countries where South Asians live. Once we start talking about building a brand and a company that big, do people start taking me a little seriously? But I have to really break it down for folks to understand that South Asians living in the diaspora is a real market and it's untapped and we should be working towards it. We're definitely not Indians from India anymore and we can't pretend that we are. What Indians in India need are very different from what I need as an Indian American when it comes to the content I consume, when it comes to the clothes I wear, when it comes to, you know, my hobbies or the way that I even just look at, um, self-care, right? I mean, there's so many differences between us, even though we're all Indian. When we first spoke, that was one of the things that we kind of connected on because Equinus also understands that there is this community and there can be diaspora in Australia, UK, all these different countries, you know, and we're trying to build this community of like-minded diaspora women. Having said that, you made a very interesting comment about I'm an Indian over here and the Indians from India have very different needs. Can you elaborate on maybe some differences and maybe some similarities also? I think that the way that we want our culture and then the way that we perhaps 
you know, follow our traditions is I think a little bit different than the way our families are following it or pursuing it back home. We have just such a soft spot for almost anything and everything Indian. But at the same time, we're not afraid to have a critical eye either. I think it's okay for us to um, point fingers at the government if we don't agree with their motives. That's probably one of the biggest differences right now that many folks in India may not want to point fingers at their government because they want to, of course, um, not be nationalists. We're not afraid to say, hey, you know, we don't agree with what the prime minister is doing or saying, or we don't agree with this archaic tradition and we want to move on from it. Indian Americans or Desi Americans or Desis living across the diaspora, I believe that we truly know who we are. We're definitely rooted in our culture and our traditions, but we're not afraid to have a critical and nuanced approach to it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What part of the Indian culture do you really identify with? Almost everything I do on a daily basis is desi. You know, I thrive off of our food and our culture. Brown Girl's bread and butter is promoting and supporting South Asian small businesses. That is literally how we keep our lights on. I can name 200 small businesses right off the top of my head without probably taking a breath. And I can tell you that they're a part of almost every industry that you can imagine from clothing to religion, to culture, to toys, to food, to makeup, to skincare. I mean, you Name it, and there are really cool South Asian um, companies that have been born here who truly believe in our hyphenated identity, and they're always working on ways to bridge those identities. There's probably not one part of our culture in our country that I don't relate to or associate with. However, I am very good at having that nuanced critical eye and saying, hey, you know, I believe that this tradition is just too archaic for me and I refuse to follow along. And so for that, I will stand up for when I need to. If you're meeting an investor, how are you going to explain what you mean by hyphenated identity and why do they need to support it? I think the beauty of having a hyphenated identity is that you can really love both worlds at the same exact time and you don't need to choose one or the other. I think the simplest explanation is that I will never be fully Indian and I will never be fully American. I will just be 50-50. And I think coming to that realization is really beautiful to know that I can have best of both worlds. I can watch every reality TV on Bravo while eating a samosa. That's like literally the epitome of my life. I'm totally okay with that. In terms of pitching it to investors, um, I'm actually pretty grateful that a lot of non-South Asians are really intrigued and interested in the work that we are doing. I think sometimes it's South Asians themselves that are a bit skeptical. I think it's maybe easier perhaps to explain the work we're doing to non-South Asians. Sometimes, not all the time. What is it about what you do at Brown Girl magazine that intrigues non-South Asians? And what is it that South Asians are skeptical about? 
I don't know if I'll be able to point it out very distinctly, but I think that sometimes it's tough to show that it's okay for us in the South Asian diaspora to have multiple entities that are doing the same thing, right? So there are many amazing companies, event companies, media companies that are pursuing similar work to that of Brown Girl. And that's totally okay, right? I think that there's more than enough room in the space and the market for there to be multiple players in the diaspora. I think that's probably one point that most South Asians feel skeptical about. Like, oh, well, isn't so-and-so doing the same thing you're doing? Well, yeah, sure they are, but who cares, right? Like they did XYZ, I'm doing XYZ. We're both definitely servicing the same market, but will you never eat at McDonald's because there's a Burger King across the street? Like, does that mean you'll never go to Shake Shack because you had Wendy's? We can't expect all the burger joints to have that conversation and to have that argument. So why pin us against each other? I'm always down for collaborations and partnerships. So I've worked with multiple people and companies that are pursuing similar paths to what I am, um, but more the merrier for me. So I think that's probably like the biggest skepticism that I'm seeing while I'm raising capital. There's more than enough room for all of us to grow and, and to play in the same market. I love the analogies of the Burger Kings and McDonald's. But what is it about South Asians that non-South Asians find intriguing now? Because 25 years ago, it was a very different story. 25 years ago, I didn't think that we would be like the cool cultural group to kind of make it big. But that's what we are. Like, I think South Asians are in a renaissance right now. We are having that BET moment, essentially. And of course, that has a lot to do with Black culture and Black people paving the way for us. And so we're genuinely grateful that they have essentially opened up the doors for us. But this is our moment to be like, we're here and we're a lot more than, you know, what perhaps sitcoms had shown us as just 10 years ago. I think that folks are really intrigued by our country, our culture, our food. Um, and finally, people are talking about us in a way that's just not so typical and stereotypical. How has your time at Brown Girl magazine shaped you? And have there been any highlights that you know you can share with us? Some stories, some experiences, some events? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of shaped me, I always tell every single person this, that Brown Girl has given me everything, right? It's given me a career. It's given me a platform. Anytime that someone comes to me and says, Oh, you know, I'm so grateful because Brown Girl helped me land this job, or I met XYZ through Brown Girl, or I got my first paid campaign because of Brown Girl. My answer is always cool. I did too. Like I'm doing this because I want those same opportunities that you have received from Brown Girl. So yeah, Brown Girl has definitely done a lot more than shape me. It's definitely given me a full-fledged platform to do anything and everything. I think probably the biggest highlight of being at Brown Girl is truly realizing that Brown Girl can be a lot more than a content platform. We've already excelled at being a user-generated content platform for almost the past decade. I truly believe that if there's anything related to South Asians living in the diaspora, all you need to do is use the search bar at Brown Girl. It's basically mini Google. So on the content side, we definitely have excelled. I think 
The realization that we are more than that is probably my biggest highlight. So understanding that we can successfully host summits and events. We can have our own book. We can have our own apparel. We can have our own agency that helps other small businesses and represents them. Um, and then we can essentially scale and expand on all of those streams of revenue and help other markets do it. Brown Girl is an ecosystem that interconnects content, community, and commerce. And we're going to continue doing that and hopefully scale in a really powerful way. That's amazing to hear. For you particularly, what does being a brown girl or an Indian American mean? I think simply put, it's just a way of life. I consider Brown Girl to be a lifestyle. That basically means that you read Brown Girl's content today, you buy their apparel tomorrow, you order our book, you come to our events. It's a lifestyle. It's a part of who you are. I think that you should, you know, open up your phone, open up your emails, open up your laptop, walk down the street and Brown Girl should be a part of it. And only a lifestyle brand can truly do that in the same way that Apple has taken over our lives. I believe that that Brown Girl has the power to do that as well. Do you see Brown Girl becoming more mainstream in the future? I think that it would be really beautiful to replicate Brown Girl's model for other communities. Um, I don't know particularly if Brown Girl will become mainstream per se, but I do believe that other communities can replicate our model um, in a beautiful way so that there are many players within the mainstream landscape. And where do you see Brown Girl going in the future? I really think that the ecosystem we have put forward is a very strong one. I think it's very scalable. It's something that people can replicate, right? So this exact model can be done within the Latinx community, um, Asian American community. And so I'm hoping that we can work towards that in the near future. Going to your personal life, what does marriage mean to you? How has it changed you as a woman and a person? Shish and I met through a mutual friend, very grateful for him. Marriage has given me the opportunity to pursue my dreams. <laughs> so that's definitely one. I had a chance to marry my best friend and I couldn't have asked for more. My family is obsessed with him and I'm obsessed with his family and yeah, it's just our, our little world is, is genuinely so beautiful. Marriage is definitely work for sure. We're always trying, you know, little things to keep things going. I'm hoping that there's a lot more in store for us together um, and, and for our families. You picked a Desi guys. Is that something that influenced you growing up in Queens or being CEO of Brown Girl magazine? Would you have ever seen yourself with a non-Desi? For me and Ashish particularly, I always do say that, you know, things just happened by destiny and by chance. Of course, I think I've always just had an affinity to anything and everything Desi. So I probably would have always only married a Desi guy. That's just where I, I'm comfortable. But I always tell my younger sister, I hope she finds someone she loves very soon. But please don't feel that just because I brought home someone Punjabi means that you need to do the same. And I always remind my parents that, hey, you know, you guys got lucky because we married into a Punjabi family, but that doesn't mean that my sister will need to. So I definitely like to keep those doors open for her. At the end of the day, love is love, right? It doesn't matter 
who you are, desi or not. My husband, he grew up pretty American. I'm a million times more desi than he ever will be. <laughs> I think him being desi is just really amazing on paper, but other than that, like I always tell my sister, like I'm sure if you married a non-desi, he'd probably be more desi than Ashish. <laughs> and hopefully if you have any children in the future, maybe they'll be little desi kids and they'll take forward the immigrant legacy. For sure. I'm planning on taking Hindi classes with them. I'm planning on taking dance classes with them. So I'm literally going to just like be that mom who's just like smooching off of her kids classes. But yeah, I need to like relearn everything for myself. <laughs> I have a rapid fire round for you. Are you ready? I hope so. Queens, New York or Queens, Nicholas, Mumbai? Oh, definitely Queens, New York. I don't know anything about Mumbai. <laughs> Favorite desi food? The most I'm obsessed. I can have them all day. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> the best thing about being married? Genuinely having a best friend and a partner that you can talk to, vent to literally all day. <laughs> I love that. Salvars or skirts? Probably salvar, but with really cute um, skinny jeans. Kajal or lipstick? Definitely lipstick. Uh, my hands are not steady enough for a good kajal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, favorite color? Anything that's blush. Your beverage of choice? Um, I could probably drink at least five or six cups of chai a day. Shahrukh Khan or Kalpen? Kalpen. Favorite Desi actress? Probably Madhuri Dixit, and I'm pretty um, obsessed with um, Anushka Sharma. Juggernaut or hate copy? They're both killing it. Um, definitely, I, I won't be able to choose. So you're going to be diplomatic about this? I definitely will be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tesher or Jay Sean? Oh my gosh, um, that's so hard. I'm grateful to have, you know, seen and met Jay Sean and met his family and good friends with his wife. Um, and, and Tesher, oh my gosh, one of my um, really, really good longtime best friends at Brown Girl is Tesher's manager. So that's also really hard. Um, I think that they're, they've both paved the way in such a beautiful way. Um, I'd have to pick both. I, I really do. It's hard. <laughs> you know, you're not being very good about this. <laughs> okay, fine. I'll cut you some slack. And with that, we've come to the end of this delightful conversation. Trisha, on behalf of myself and my colleague Medha Jai Shankar, thank you for giving time to Ake Women. All the best with Brown Girl and your future plans. For our listeners, you can catch this and other interviews on our social media handle at Equipment Global on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Monica. Yeah, such poignant questions, and I hope I was able to answer them well. <laughs> <laughs>